Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show, episode 52, the last one for this year, season one. We are going to look at a year in review. In my mind, 2020 has served up so many learning points. We're going to look at the key highlights in there. More importantly, the takeaway lessons to set you up for the year ahead, 2021. Look forward to seeing you in the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, Faithful outsider, Mr. Mitchell Laurentiel. Faithful I am, and back to humble beginnings. Here we are in our initial studio, the boardroom, back where things started for the year in review, the cap off for the whole entire year, season one done. Season one done, 52 episodes. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. We said we'd do 52, everyone said you can't do one weekly, and I guess we've proven that you can. I don't know what our listeners would have to say about that. <laughs> Maybe they're sick of hearing us weekly, but indeed, here we are, end of the year. Um, you know, it's Christmas holidays, uh, decorations are still up. And uh, yeah, we're here to look at the review and uh, the year review. And interesting for you, this time last year, this time last year, we were actually doing the Fit for Fireys fundraiser that we did to raise money for the Rural Fire Service. We were. What a time that was! Ten F forty five classes at F forty five bundle in one day. That was a huge exercise. It was a big day for sure. Big fundraiser and what a great cause. But what an awful place to start the year. Uh, and you know, looking back, everyone was expecting oh, we're going into the new year twenty twenty drought, bushfire, putting it behind us, this is going to be a great year. And look, it has been a great year on some metrics, but man, I think 2020 will be one that we put in the in the, uh, the sort of annals of time and go, man, that was just such an incredible amount of events in one year. Certainly one big hell of a roller coaster. And I guess what we want to chat about today to cap off everything that's gone on, <laughs> seven key points. How long have we got for this today? I think we can extend this one beyond our sort of 20 to 30 minute limit and, uh, and, and really go into this in detail. We've 52 podcasts. Most of them have been quite topical to what's going on in the news. So we've wrapped this up into seven key parts. Yep. And then we can start to talk about the episodes that we had within those. As oh, you've thought about this. Today. You've put me on the spot. This is tricky. I know, I know. <laughs> we make no apologies, as you know. So let's kick it off. Let's start. I mean, we've spoken about bushfires to begin with. Mm. Anything else that reminds us of what happened at the start of the year? Well, I think like anything, you know, it's always to do the, to do the you know, the, what's your process for the year? What are your goals and objectives? And uh, in fact, next week, episode one, season two, uh, we'll be talking about deja vu of really setting your goals and starting the year with the right intentions and in the scientific process that we use. And this time, like, you know, the first time in the year, we are starting the year with goals. This is what we're setting out to do. And I guess one of the key things with goals is that you should be pretty resolute on the outcome, but you need to be incredibly flexible on the pathway that you're taking to get there. And, and this has been year of the pivot. You know, every time you've had a plan in place with all the different things that have gone on this year, you've needed to pivot and adjust, still focusing on the goal, but taking maybe a little bit of an alternative route to get there and it's certainly been an eye-opener for many people in that regard certainly there has and i remember that first episode that we filmed one of the most important things you said mitch is have goals but be flexible in the way at which you achieve them and 2020 has been a year where you've been <laughs> like an elastic band in yeah. and out every which way oh exactly right anyone that's in business has either thrived or survived or, or has blown up in these conditions and i guess the overall outcome on that has been down to your ability to to literally pivot and be able to be flexible in what you do yeah, and primarily at the start of the year, we were an events company, uh, and, and at the end of February, we cancelled 85 live events Crazy. and moved everything online and had to change our entire business model to be able to accommodate that. And, uh, and, and plenty of other businesses out there have had to reinvent themselves in similar ways to, to be able to survive and push on through. So that flexibility is something that is absolutely paramount. You, you've got to have a lot of clarity on what you're doing and why you're doing it but you have to take into account the changing context on the way. And trading is exactly the same. And this is a year where trading psychology uh, and having that 
absolutely unwavering focus on what your outcome needs to be, but at the same time, that nimble, flexible flight of uh, uh, you know, light-footedness to tiptoe around and adjust your approach to mold your strategies to suit the market conditions. And I mean, it's crazy. I mean, you know, when you see some of the returns that have been made you know, this year, you take Mark Aitchison uh, in March, you know, a 73% return in March on his portfolio. And he's had to pivot. He went into trading you know, volatility very specifically, did incredibly well with it. You know, look at people like Shane Comer again in the month of March, tricky month, um, you know, really crushing it uh, with his spreads. Carl Chambers stuck to his covered calls. He's pulling seven, eight, nine percent over a 10 day period, largely on Fortescue. I remember his trades when I was seeing them and it was so good to see, but the strategy was molded around this. So, you know, flexibility certainly has been the name of the game, that ability to pivot and that resolute rock hard trading psychology where you're not getting blown off course, you're just having to take a slightly different route to get there. That's been key for the people that really want to thrive in this. Certainly, and we all know why that's occurred. It's probably the biggest topic of the year, the headline that everyone knows we're going to chat about, that is coronavirus, kind of the big first event that we saw this year once we really kicked into gear. And I know you and I you know, sat down early March and we chatted about a crash, a pullback and a correction, the differences of what they were in market situations. Mm -hmm. At that time, it was simply a correction. Mm -hmm. And then as we know, a couple of weeks later, we were in a full blown market mm -hmm. crash and we did a whole podcast on coronavirus opportunities, which you've well stated there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and, 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 and that's the key thing. There are degrees of magnitude and yeah, what we saw in February, um, March was unprecedented in, in terms of the velocity of the fall, uh, the severity of it, the broad-based nature of it. Um, but like anything in markets, and again, this is where the psychology is so important, Mitch, inherently every single time markets have got up off the canvas and have returned to new highs, uh, pretty much in every case with the exception of Japan. Um, <laughs> and that's been you know, the peak in the index there was 1989, December 31st. Um, but you know, our market recovered quite quickly. We saw March 24th, which was a pivotal time. You know, if we look back at some of the tools that we developed to help our clients trade that, and again, something else to be proud of, every day we've put up the signal screen to help keep our clients on track. Um, you know, March 24th, there's the yellow box. We're, We're going wrong, and we did. And uh, man, just as well we did too, because gee, it had a good recovery. Certainly did the quickest mm -hmm. bull market recovery in history. I think it was a forty percent turnaround in yeah. a matter of a couple of months. And, and it's interesting. A lot of investors will be looking back now, going on back to break even. That's that's good. And you think, hang on a minute, you know, you've missed the game here. If you're back at break even, a you've had no risk management to protect you to the downside, which is shameful. And, and secondly, you've missed a 30 or 40% recovery in stocks. So happy that you're break even, it's better than being underwater, but shame on you for missing the best game in town. You've got to be open to these things. And you know, that's something that's also very important. Certainly, and we're very lucky to have Andrew Gibbs join our team around about that time too. Indeed. He came with his proprietary software along with the super large brain. We had to get a removalist truck to get into his office. <laughs> Absolutely yes. immense having him on. It has been, it's been a terrific addition to the team. And I think it's provided yeah, a really good counterbalance to um, the approach that we're taking in terms of now having a really good uh, fundamental and technical bias sort of squared away and even that. And, and I think the clients will appreciate that, particularly you know, some of the work he's done with the advanced clients. So, you know, yeah, our team has expanded massively. We've had, I think, a 43% increase in headcount this Crazy. year in the business, which is which is nuts. We've run out of space in our office. You know, we'll be moving again in the new year. And you probably couldn't have expected that uh, <laughs> at the end of February either, you know, sort of going into survival mode. Um, but that's a test for true business, that ability to pivot and, and having a quality product. So, yeah, certainly been an interesting one. Anyway, what else have we got to go? Corona? Corona. I mean, it's going to be the enduring factor for the year. It is. Who would have predicted that, um, you know, you're going to be, you know, in lockdown in some states, the, the, the volume of deaths in others, the ongoing nature of it. I mean, we look at my father in the UK, they're still in lockdown there, not going to see him this Christmas. 
uh, very sadly. You know, the number of hundreds of thousands of new cases each day in the US. It's crazy. Um, you know, it, it, it's insane to see something like this and what it's done to the global economy. But it's also interesting to see where the winners and losers have been. And you know, one of the things that we talked of um, fairly recently, I think, was zombie companies. Um, you know, if we look at the S&P, and I'm sure we'll talk about overall market performance sure. as we go through, you know, there are companies that were flying high, no pun intended, the likes of Boeing. They had the 737 MAX, then no flying anywhere, which meant airlines canceled their orders. Carnival Cruises, you know, no one's going cruising. No. Uh, Macy's, no one's going to department stores. And all of these companies, Century 21, a soft spot I've got for that business in the US, uh, which is the discount department store, <laughs> all in administration and either gone or going uh, and acting like zombie businesses because foot traffic and, and, and non-online retail uh, and people being confined really go to those businesses. So you know, a, a massive tragedy for investors there and still a lot of pain has been felt. Yet on the flip side, again, that ability to pivot if we look at the e-commerce um, side of things, and again, it would be remit, I think, out of the 52 podcasts we've done this year, Afterpay has managed to get a mention in virtually all of them. All of them. Afterpay, Temple and Webster, Shopify, Amazon, um, Harvey Norman, JB Hi-Fi, Kogan, these stores, uh, well, these stocks have all had incredible years because they've been able to position themselves to capitalize on the fact that if people have been in lockdown or not able to travel, they're still spending money just on different things and they've really got that wallet share. So there've been some immense success stories in there too. It's not just been, Corona's been bad for everybody. Uh, it's an even sum game. There's been good and there's bad, depending on the Certainly. business. You know, tourism, that's been absolutely smashed to pieces. You know, state government have got a lot to answer for, I think, in terms of their economics, and we won't get into that. I think we've adequately delved into that through the we year. Uh, but now we're starting to see borders reopen again, thank God. Um, that's going to put some much-needed fuel into areas like tourism, which, of course, has been shut down. But, you know, again, the serendipity, the pivot on this is how many people have explored their own backyard and they've done stuff that's local, which has been great for local business, uh, and long may that continue. You know, spend in Australia, get ourselves back on our feet, and then we'll talk about something as we go on further forward about some of the impending problems our economy could face. So sure. pivot, COVID, look, it's it, it, it's not done. I'm sure we'll be talking about it next year, um, but um, you know, it's been, a, it's been a watershed for dinosaur businesses versus forward-looking companies, which I think we described in our litmus test when we talked about you know, we how, how do we find companies we like. I can't remember the podcast now, they all blur, but it's somewhere in the 40s, I'm guessing. Um, and, and we talked about you know, that ability to find forward-looking companies. Very, very important part of the process. Certainly. There's been a lot of good lessons come out of COVID. As much as it's a tragedy, we have learned a lot about our investing and also our economy. Mm. With that came the big bank cuts of the dividends, which is mm. kind of the next topic we want to explore. Now, we covered this in podcast number 19. It was yeah. called the Yield Desert, and that was before they actually announced they were cutting dividends. So you had a pretty good inclination that this was already coming beforehand. They then cut the dividends, and we spoke about that in podcast number 35. There we go. That was in August, the uh, banks. That was. And look, CBA led the charge, their largest bank, um, 52%, I think they've cut their dividend yep. by. Now followed with 62% Westpac ANZ zeroed it. And part and parcel of this, Mitch, it was, it was the right call. Um, if your profit and cash flow is being constrained, uh, which has been the case for a lot of the banks, and there's a lot level of uncertainty, keeping that money on the balance sheet uh, to provision for bad debts and some of the other things, some of the challenges uh, that are no doubt coming toward the banks in this new era, um, meant that holding on to cash was very important. And again, there's a winner and a loser on this. Uh, equally, some of the guidelines from APRA was cut the amount you're paying out by uh, 50% in terms of your dividends so that we can uh, make sure that your balance sheets and capital adequacy are in place. So sure. there's a bit of legislation and guidance behind it from the regulator. The problem, and right decision for the banks to do that, the pain threshold, of course, has been 
for those investors that are singing off the old hymn sheet of buy a hold, uh, get your dividends twice a year and live on that because sure. many people, especially superannuation and self funded super where those fully frank banking yields uh, and dividends have been the lifeblood of income flow, they've been turned off and it's left an awful lot of those uh, investors high and dry, searching drastically uh, in an urgent need to replace income. Uh, and it's been one of the wonderful things with cash on demand, our strategy, that it's been able to help people do that. But it does require people to be nimble and, and pivot and say, look, my strategy isn't working anymore and I can hold for another five years to see if that policy changes. Or I can make a decision now to turn on that cash flow tax. Sure. Certainly a lot of people are dinosaurs and they're very slow to make that decision. Um, it's also the fear of the unknown for a lot of people too, in terms of a, a different sort of strategy. But personally speaking, I don't think we're gonna see the banks ratchet those dividends back up. I think they're shackles that have kind of been broken and it's enabling them to, um, to focus, if you will, on the growth within their business and turning into a growth play uh, rather than an income play. You know, there are one or two laggards in that sector. Telstra um, has maintained that they're going to keep their dividend up there. Good for their shareholders. They're going to, it's good for our shareholders. They're obviously neglecting to mention the 50% you know, um, drop in capital value that their shareholders have enjoyed over the last five or 10 years. Um, but I do feel that it's a business that's starving itself of capital, so there'll be a long-term payoff for that. So, you know, investing for dividend, especially with interest rates as low as they are, which I'm sure we'll talk about, um, has reduced the, the risk-free rate for people. And as a consequence, we've seen those dividends cut. And, and August was a big wake-up call. We did call it a little earlier than that to say, watch out. And, you know, that's certainly one that you prefer to have been wrong on in terms of calls. We actually did, funnily enough that you say that, I mean, pivoting your investment strategy and doing something completely different is a highly emotive experience. It's not easy to go and change what you're doing. And we covered that in podcast, I think it was number 15 on, on trading psychology and emotion. And we sort of discovered what kind of traders you and I were and what some of our other clients were. So important to know, A, who you are as a person, and then B, what the new strategy may look like. Top-down view of trading was also an episode we covered that you could relate to this. Mm. But certainly then banks cutting dividends was a shakeup that really, really you know, changed the course of how we invest in the market. Everything changes over time. Uh, and, and I think you know one of the most important things, and clearly this year has been one that's rewarded being nimble. You don't have to be that nimble, you've just got to recognize that, that something is dead. And if you take it back to something as simple as music consumption, you know, you know 30 years ago you bought vinyl, which is having a revival now, and then there were cassette tapes, and then along came CDs, and then there was the iPod. Well, I've never heard of these iPod <laughs> things. And now, you know, we're with our portable devices running off your watch or whatever it may be into your buds. You know, music's still being consumed, but it's being consumed in a different way. And that's over a 30 year period. In the same way that music consumption's changed, investing strategies need to change too to stay current with where markets are at. And I really do feel for people that are so dyed in the wool that they have been conned, and there's the word by their advisor, I'll just buy, hold and hope. And one of the things that we've seen an enormous amount of this year is that kind of advice where we've had clients that have moved from other broking firms and the brokers have been extremely reluctant to leave or let the client leave by restricting stock transfers and making it very hard. But also when you actually look at the advice that the clients received over the last couple of years, there's been none. It's crazy. Just buy, hold it, don't worry about it. And, then, and you see some of the shockers that they've got in their oh. portfolio, it's painful to see, but you know, that seems to be you know, a very common theme in that, you know, overarching 
uh, funds under management trail type income business, which again is a dinosaur business and should be ruled out and Fazzy is actually doing that. Certainly, it's not our gig, that's for sure. To segue that now into, once we covered dividends, one of the real main things that we specifically covered in a number of episodes was the economy and how it really started to kickstart back in the year. We had the budget come out, yep. early access to super, there was plenty in there. And we've seen a vaccine and various other things later on. But when that initially, that news came out with the budget, how we're going to spend and recover, what was our thoughts back then? What do you, what do you sort of see, how's that changed now? The, the, the federal government made their decision on the budget with the set of facts that they had in front of them at the time. And I think we alluded to that at the time, it's very, very hard um, to, to, to provide a really robust guidance in such a dynamic and volatile time in markets. And you know, hats off to um, Josh Frydenberg uh, as treasurer and Matthew Scone for the work that they had to do at that difficult time. Um, personally speaking, I think some of the legislation that was brought in has been flawed and it's been shown to have been abused. But that's inevitable when you create something on the fly that you know it isn't always going to be the no. laboratory tested. Yeah, we've had ten years to research, and this is it's, it's a decision you've got to make. Pretty it's a matter of survival, and, really, isn't it? And yeah, you know, and JobKeeper would probably be my single biggest bugbear uh, with the you know what fifty six billion that we've ploughed into that, and it's supposedly helped us avoid a recession. And I think time will show that all we've done is push that down the pipe as uh, as people gradually get weaned off of that. The actual um, impact of the economic difficulty caused by COVID uh, will will come to the fore. Uh, and there will be people that do lose their jobs and there will be further businesses that go. They're effectively Australia's equivalent, I suppose, to, to zombie companies that we've put off in the US. Um, but that said, you know, Treasury have done a pretty good job of keeping the rubble on the road to the point where here we sit with 13% unemployment on a, on, a, on a reasonably realistic measure, yet we've got consumer confidence at record highs and house prices, no pun intended, Sorry. going through the roof. Um, you know, it's an extraordinary set of economic circumstance that we find ourselves in and you can't help but think that um, you know, the amount of fuel that was put on the fire um, may have been a little bit too much of a rich mixture uh, and perhaps that needs to be paired back a little bit and given time over again maybe that's what would have happened but at the time you can only do what's right, you can't use the benefit of 2020 uh, vision to say yeah, maybe we would have softened that. It was certainly quite peculiar. We covered that in our Rational Economics yeah. podcast, which really shook the tree, of course. Yeah. Consumer spending and confidence at all-time highs, yet no one having any money. It was really quite weird. Mm. Now, we spoke, you mentioned about the US. Mm. I know we could speak for almost hours on this topic, the US election. That was a massive headline that we covered in depth. We yeah. did a whole evening on the US election. We did yeah. a whole broadcast on it. A lot yeah. came out of that. Mm. Look, it's been probably the, the biggest focal point for the year. Um, two things on it, I certainly wouldn't have expected Joe Biden to win and obviously the incumbent President Trump doesn't <laughs> uh, but you know, at some point it's time, time to stop tweeting and pack your bags. Um, one thing I was absolutely resolute on was that you know, in a US election year um, you will see equity markets at a higher level than where they were previously which has proved to be the case sure. as well. So you know, that study of history can be quite handy sometimes in terms of giving us a, a gauge on it. And look, for whatever your views might be, you know, it, it's been nothing short of a spectacle. Um, what probably the biggest tragedy as a non-US citizen, and I, I hold the US in great uh, esteem, it's a country I very nearly moved to um, a number of years ago. Uh, and you, you look at it and think, well, if that's the best two candidates that you can put up out of a country with nearly half a billion people 
it's a very sad indictment on the state of affairs. Sure. Um, you know, you've got one that's well. We don't need to go into it. It's uh, we've we've been fairly well, fairly vocal on it all the way through. Well, I mean, you think about it. it was not long ago that President Obama came out and said, "I wouldn't be surprised at how easy Joe Biden can screw things up." Quite out of his memo. But, uh, yeah, that's right. It's out of his memoirs and his book that's just been released. And but you've got a walking corpse, and, and you've got someone that's just totally detached from reality. Um, you know, and it is a very very sad indictment on. On, on what claims to be the world's biggest democracy, it's actually India's the world's biggest democracy. There you go. But um, yeah, it's a, it's an extraordinary one, and yeah, you know, markets have handled it very very well. Um, normally, when there's uncertainty, um, you know, I, I, I was fairly vocal on this. I expected Trump win. I think had he been slightly more moderate on his campaign front, he probably would have done. Um, but um, you know, when you're as divisive as that, I still feel that you know markets would. Uh, I, I expected markets to respond well to a Trump win, less so for a Biden win. What we've seen is that balance of power in the Senate, the sure. Republican versus Democrat, uh, is put a check and balance in place. It's unlikely we're going to see some of the more radical tax uh, implementation that we were expecting under a Biden win, and markets have been off to the races since. Um, you know, we've got to wait till January the 20th for the inauguration, uh, and, and it's a very, very difficult time globally, not just with COVID, but with some of the other geopolitical tensions going on right now, to have the world's superpower in this state of limbo. Uh, with this sort of question of uncertainty there, but markets have shrugged that off just as they have all year. You know, since March 24, markets have shrugged every shred of bad news off and have just been propelling in the direction uh, that we clearly like to see. Which sure. Well, the, one of the best pieces of advice that I got from Andrew Gibbs back in the day was, Mitch, markets are eternally optimistic, mm. and that certainly has reigned true this yep. year. And I guess, you know, the next headline that we saw after the US election, that was a great analysis, is the vaccines, the mm. recovery, the market rally. Moderna came out, Pfizer, yeah. um, AstraZeneca as well, you know, 90, 95% effective vaccines. And then mm. in November, we saw the Dow have its best month since 1987. The Russell, the S&P and the Dow all at record highs, despite 500 of the Russell 2000 companies being zombie companies, mm. which we covered in a podcast quite recently. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Look, uh, the recovery in the US market has been stellar. I mean, we're back up to, to previous highs, but that big psychological 30,000 level on the Dow, uh, and even you know, President Trump came out and did a, be a 90 second press conference specifically on that. And, and it was right what needed to be said there. You know, it's testimony to the engine room in the American economy. There's a lot of loose money around, just as there is here in Australia with interest rates as low as they are. Yeah, we're looking at 0.1% interest rates, and I'm sure we'll talk about property and, and, and interest rates in a moment. Um, but yeah, you've got to put your money somewhere. Bonds are out of the question. Cash is not an option. Um, so really, it's going into markets, uh, be that real estate or be it the stock market. And with the tax cuts that we've seen and this endless printing of cash, plus you know, the Federal Reserve in the US as well, uh, effectively being a buyer of last resort of, of both stock and debt for companies, it's not surprising to see the markets have propelled that high. And it is a huge psychological number. It's a, uh, I had a bet uh, with Harry Dent uh, at the National Economic Summit in Vancouver, I think it would have been five years ago. Um, it would be about five years ago. And he was predicting that the Dow would be at 6,000. And I said it would hit 30,000 before 6,000. So I'm going to collect on that bet. I know Harry loves a red like I do. So I'm going to be over for a nice bottle of tempest. You're watching this, like Harry. That. You are him around. Um, but, you know, and that's the thing. It goes back to markets are eternally optimistic. And, and if you're uh, uh, sort of, you're always the prophet of doom that the economy is about to blow up. You will be right sometime, but yeah, there's a lot of fat that's missed by the investors when you go sure. those sort of pullbacks. So yeah, I remember that vividly, and I got panned a little bit for it. No, it's all overdone. The demographics are saying this. Markets are optimistic. Gibbs is right, and uh, as a consequence, 
you know, that 30,000 bell has been well and truly run, which is an amazing way of, of, of sort of seeing markets not quite finish the year, but move towards the sort of last bend as they're coming down the home straight this year, you know, on a really positive note. Um, as for the virus uh, vaccinations, you know, it's really a pop and flop. Pfizer had a terrific run. I, I actually wouldn't be surprised if they held on to that announcement until after the US election just quietly. Uh, not that it can be quietly when you're on a podcast, it's listened to by thousands of people, I suppose, but uh, we'll give our editing team a chance to take that over sure. to um, But you know, I think you know, when you see the, the run up in Pfizer, it was a pop and flop, it went and dropped back. Moderna came out, as you say, AstraZeneca. And, and what I'm struggling to get my head around is the 90 to 95% success rate of these vaccinations that have been really developed in such massively short order. You know, you've got a question of that, and you know, would you be rolling up your sleeve and taking the jab right now? I'm not sure I'd be in a hurry to do that. Well, all of those companies have applied for emergency use, as we know, mm. so it could be sooner rather than later when we see those. Mm. And even just looking at markets for a second, backtracking off to that AB, not only have we seen that in the US market, you know, the Aussie market in November had its best month since 1989, I think yeah. it was up nearly 9.7%. We've certainly responded quite well to what's been a challenging year. Mm. And with that as well, you mentioned property. So let's touch on that, for example, sorry, for, as a headline now as well, because that certainly has been a talk of the town. Mm property market, why has it remained so strong? Mm. Look, that's a great question, isn't it? And you know, you're seeing one in seven properties sitting empty in major cities. You know, investment yields about 3.8% in, in prior to COVID. It's a relatively low level of yield there. The two key things that are fueling it, I suppose, number one, money's got to go somewhere. Uh, and there are a lot of asset classes that are just a non-starter. Secondly, the cost of money is effectively zero. You know, if you've got a loan, it should be beginning with a maximum of 2%. You know, two point something, sure. not the four or five or six that some people are still locked in on. And so, you know, that level of cheap money has enabled, um, you know, people to really service debt and that's, that's enabled prices to continue to grow. Second to that, and I'd be very cautious of this because, you know, you don't get the rainbow without the storm. Overgearing in this environment when everything is very cheap to borrow can bite you very badly. And we've talked about this, I know, previously in the year with some of the property stuff we've talked of. Um, you know, that sort of um, negative equity situation, repossessions, and that's not, that doesn't mean we're out of the woods and that's not gonna happen. It could quite easily still happen if we see unemployment continue to rise. Um, what's been the driver of it is really hard to see because, you know, we've got no overseas buying. That's down by something like 94%. Crazy. Um, you know, there aren't people coming here to buy it, so it's domestically driven. Um, you know, and, and there's also talk that the banks are gonna be relaxing their responsible lending criteria too, to continue, and this is important from an economics point of view, because if banks hold money back and they're too prudent, I know you shouldn't argue about being too prudent, but if they're too prudent, that money does need to get into the economy to get things going. Same with business loans. So if you can be more aggressive, not reckless, that's the key thing, not reckless, but more aggressive uh, and getting back to a normalization in the lending markets, um, that money coming into markets has to help and it certainly help you know, prices of property. You know, prices have been phenomenal, markets have been strong, there's no stock. I mean, we're here on the Gold Coast today, there is no stock. You're right. Uh, anything that goes to market is gone in no time, full price, no questions asked. Down in Byron, where my farm is, it's even more ridiculous. We've had so many interstate movers uh, that have come up and they're just done with. We've got clients that have bought in various places in around that area sure. um, to get out of Melbourne. Uh, that market is just insane. Now, of course, like anything, it can't go forever. It's not like the tulip bubble. Um, but you, know, you make hay while the sun shines, that's for sure. So property has been incredibly strong. So you know, real assets, stocks and property have done very, very well through this time. Certainly, and you mentioned overseas buyers. So just touching on that for a mm -hmm. second, David, because that really has been kind of the last major headline of this year. 
is China. With a couple of days left, Mitch. We do have a couple of days, but you never know what might happen in a year like this. Absolutely. China, though, what's, what are your thoughts? Pretty messy situation, right? Look, it is. It's a, it's a, it's a really, really sad state of affairs. Uh, and, I, and I think, you know, without being un, unpatriotic, Australia has really only got itself to blame for this insofar as, um, you know, over the last 12 or 15 years, we've become incredibly reliant on a major trading partner. It's been, dare I say, easy money. A lot of overseas students coming in, our universities have grown to accommodate that. Our property market has welcomed in overseas buyers and it's driven up that inner city investment property uh, and so on and so forth. So yeah, we've become very, very over-reliant on that at the expense of a lot of other markets. And, and I guess that bird is coming home to roost now where as soon as you fall out with your best friend, all of a sudden there's a huge gaping hole. Uh, it's not a small hole to patch, but it's, a, it's almost a catastrophic one. And the deterioration in diplomatic relations hasn't helped. Um, yeah, and, and you know, we don't need to get into the nitty-gritty, everyone's seen what they've seen in the media on there. Um, you know, with tariffs on, and some of the really ridiculous ones you know, on the barley dumping, uh, I think the allegation from China was that Australia had dumped barley because it had artificial um, irrigation subsidies for barley producers. Most barley comes from Western Australia, there's no irrigation there, so it's a baseless argument. Sure. Um, the coal, the thermic coal coming out of the Hunter Valley, again, we've got plenty of clients that work down there in the coal mines. Uh, in the Hunter Valley in New South Wales, and, and it's a very, very high quality carbon coal. And that's been held up because the question marks over, oh, it's not necessarily good enough quality now. Um, Australian wine, and this has really hit stocks like treasury wines. Um, you know, I think listening to, um, to uh, the interview, an interview the other day with Mitchell Taylor from Taylor's Wines, you know, they, they, they've been held up at customs where China is saying, um, okay, you've got to approve the following criteria before we will let you um, disembark your product. In the meantime, you've got to pay the rent at the port for your product to sit in its containers. And some of the arguments, one was they're worried about salmonella in the wine because eggshells are sometimes used in the, you know, the, in the process of making wine. And, and salmonella can't exist in an alcoholic environment and it can't exist in an acidic environment. Wine is alcoholic and acidic. So it's just like <laughs> a landed point. But nonetheless, those shipments are held up. In fact, in the case of Taylor's, they actually whipped their containers off in Singapore and they brought it back because they can sell it here. Yeah. So, you know, so it's, 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 it's a real tip for time. We've got to be very careful. Um, you know, you might think iron ore is safe, but as we've alluded to previously, you know, China's got interest in uh, Guinea in an iron ore mine there, which it owns effectively. And when that comes online, I don't think you'll be seeing it being bought from, uh, from the Pilbara, that's for sure. And so, yeah, there are tough times ahead on that. And, uh, and you can get into a tit for tat as to what's caused it. And, you know, are you with the US or with China? And I don't think it should be as divisive as that. It's a, the idea of free trade and world trade is that it's exactly that without, um, you know, heavy penalties here and there. So, you know, the Australian government has got a pretty tricky job to do to try and wrangle some sort of positive outcome for Australian producers in the uh, and the difficulty you've got is that you're dealing with a government in China that doesn't have a four-year time frame of getting re-elected. And they're playing the long game. And that's a very, very difficult one, given our political system, to, to, to really deal with. So, you know, for me, China, um, and, and particularly the increase in its military presence in the South China Sea, is the biggest variable that we'd probably have to take into, you know, 2021. Um, add to that COVID, uh, which won't be gone, at that point in time, uh, you know, we've seen in the UK, for example, it was under control, maybe it wasn't, and everyone's just had a, a pretty good holiday and they've gone to Europe and come back and boom, the whole thing's blown up. You know, Sweden, uh, that, that championed the herd mentality has realized that that's not work. You're in the US with two, 300,000 crazy sections a day. Yeah, so that's not gone and the impact of that and whatever the second or third or fourth wave of that could look like, 
uh, is tricky. And it leaves us with an Australia uh, that has its international borders up, no one's coming in, um, and, and, and that's very, very difficult. I've got a buddy of mine, as we speak, he's, he's been stuck in Miami, uh, you know, and yeah, he's got four kids here. Yeah, and it's not not back, and, and it's very very sad. We're spending the Christmas holidays. Um, you know, it's it's it, it, yeah, he's got COVID. He's got to stay there, and uh, it's very very sad. Uh, but, and that's the world that we're in. Um, and so you know, Australia has got the fence up, and, and I think the positive to come out of that is that if we really focus on it by Australia and and focus on domestic activity, which again is something we talked about in the budget podcast. Yeah, if we really get our sleeves rolled up, we can use this as an opportunity, not such a bad thing as well. Um, but we've all got to get on the same page in terms of how we think on a statewide basis as well as a national basis too, because yeah, this has been a very divisive year. We've seen it in the US between the Democrats and the Republicans. We've seen it here amongst the various states, um, you know, with uh, you know, some of the nonsense going on in Victoria and then the bickering between you know, New South Wales and, and Queensland between the premiers. We've got to put Australia first and get past those sorts of prejudices and, and get ourselves back on plane. So, you know, China, big thing for the new year for sure. Certainly, that's great advice, AB, and it really does put things into perspective as to how crazy and divisive this year has been. Mm. I think we've covered most things here. We've covered coronavirus, you know, the economy, mm. trading, being nimble, the US election, the market rallying, China, a lot that we've covered this year, and a lot of our broadcasts mm. have gone into a lot of detail here. Mm. Is there any final words? I mean, this is the year review. This is the last episode we'll do of season one. Congratulations. Thanks for being our part, you know, partner in crime. Yeah, it's been a bit of fun, actually. It has been great. And, and I think, yeah, when we started this journey, we sort of thought, like, yeah, a year, 52 broadcasts, what are we going to come up with? And, yeah, we've got our favourites. I know from some of the feedback from the clients, they've had their favourites too, which is always good to see. And, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been good because it's a different way of being able to communicate, hopefully in a more conversational way, you know, some of the key issues that we see from the investing landscape, from you know, literally date night to, to planning to, <laughs> to, 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 to everything in between. Um, you know, going into the new year, there's a few things I'd probably suggest. Number one, check out episode one, series two, because it will be deja vu. We're back to goals again. We've got some new material we'll cover in there. Um, for our clients and also for our non-clients, we've got two different programs for our clients. We'll be running uh, that Wealth Accelerator program. And for our non-clients, uh, we're running uh, the Wealth Accelerator Challenge, wealthaccelerator.challenge.com.au. Go on there, register, have a crack at it, spend three days with me, we'll get you set up for the new year, be a nice live, um, relatable coaching session. But going into the new year, I think some of the big things, China, can't get away from that. COVID is going to be a hangover from that. I think cybersecurity is one we've touched on as well, and I think that's yeah. going to become increasingly prevalent in the year ahead as well. And look, you know, I'm very minded that as a professional trader, as I have been now for an awful long time, I think I've been, this will be my 29th year in this game, and I think it was 28 and three quarter years ago I gave up trying to predict what was gonna happen because you're either right or wrong with that, and instead develop an approach where you just respond to what's actually happening. And successful investing and trading isn't about predicting the future, it's about responding very quickly to what's actually going on. And, and look, we can have a game plan and set our store out just like we did a year ago uh, for this year, and it can be turned on its head in a heartbeat. So that ability to be flexible and see the facts as they are, disconnect from the emotion, use that trading psychology, use your top-down analysis to find your themes, cybersecurity being a big one there, use your technicals to help you with your timing, always have risk management, keep your eye on the prize, and lean on the support network that you've got around there would be a really good summary for A, what we've talked of this year, and just in case people are expecting something new, it will be exactly what we talk about next year. The only thing that will change 
is the situational context because sure. there'll be new news stories, there'll be new events, there'll be new movements in markets to wrap around that. But those underlying principles of you've got to have a process and a plan, you've got to have risk management, you've got to have the right kind of analysis to do it. But most importantly, you've got to want to be in the game. This is hard, and this year has probably been harder than any. I look at the hours, and I mean proper hours our team have put in from early mornings to late nights, seven days a week. It's hard, and it's just as hard for our clients sometimes when these markets are choppy because they haven't experienced that before. And that's why you have a process, and that's why you have a team behind them. So, you know, great way to wrap up the year, and, uh, you know, make sure everyone enjoys their Happy New Year and New Year's Eve, get your kazoo out, give it a blow, give it a blow and then join us for episode one of series two and get 2021 kicked off. I'm really excited, AB. Thanks very much. Episode 52, there's season one. That's a wrap. Year in review. Thank you very much. My pleasure. It's in the can. Yes. In the can. Boom. <laughs> there you have it, guys. That's a wrap. That's 2020 wrapped up. Make sure you give us a rating and a review. And we'll look forward to seeing you in episode one, series two, next week.